You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. It's now time for a little Green and Gold History here on A's Cast, and we bring our A's historian. He works for... He works for everybody. You kidding me? And he's a busy man at this time of the year. So able to get him to talk a little A's baseball. It's great to have a little Dave Feldman with us talking about top 10 all time. And today we're going to go over top 10 designated hitters all time in A's history. Yeah, great names. Obviously, the DH came in in 1973 as an answer to some offensive woes that the game was having at the time. They're not having that anymore. Uh so a lot of players have come and gone and been in DH in Oakland, and you're going to hear some names, and you're going to be surprised that some of these guys were Oakland A's designated hitters. So we're actually doing today from where we do A's Cast Live. We're down on the field starting to watch the Yankees come out, and they're going to be uh, playing a little catch. Then the A's will be here for a little A's BP, but it'll be cool doing the show today from the field. All right, I know before we get into top ten, you like to get into your honorable mention. So uh, as I mentioned, we got some names. So the D.A. started in 1973. The first ever Oakland A's designated hitter was Billy North. Billy actually had some leg issues coming out of spring training in 73. They wanted his bat in the lineup. He got the DH. Now, he wasn't the normal DH for the rest of the season. That is our first honorable mention, somebody you're familiar with, and Darren Johnson. Mm. And why are you familiar with him? He uh, is a San Diego kid. He is. I believe he went to the same high school. Crawford High School. Same as Dave Duncan. See? Hotbed. And Chris Townsend. Don't forget that. Mm -hmm. Uh... Darren Johnson was the A's DH in 73 and 74. Charlie Friendly brought him in. Uh, how about Rico Cardi? Big hitter in the 60s was the A's DH in 78. Willie Horton. Can I give you one more about Darren Johnson? Oh, if yeah. you go into the San Diego Chicken Pie Shop, we have a bunch of people, because the San Diego Hall of Fame went under. My grandfather's in it. So as my brother went to buy all the stuff or get all the stuff back that from our family, they end up, we end up buying a bunch of pictures. Darren Johnson is on the wall. Former A's designated hitter and first baseman. He is on the wall at the San Diego Chicken Pie Shop in our Wall of Fame there at the restaurant. I like that. I like now you can say also honorable mention in all-time A's DHs. Uh, other names: Jeff Burrows, Dusty Baker was an A's DH, Ron Say, the Penguin. Penguin came over in '87 and DH'd a bit. Uh, on his second trip with the A's, Don Baylor was the A's DH in 1988. Uh, Troy Neal, who was a fan favorite for a while. Danny Tartable, he was in a Seinfeld episode. He gets to be an honorable mention. Kevin Mitchell, he was your A's DH in 1998. Ron Gant, Ray Durham. How about a Hall of Famer, Mike Piazza in 2007. Mike Sweeney in 08. Nomar Garcia Para in 09. Hideki Matsui in 2011. How about the big donkey, Adam Dunn comes over in 2014. And a special mention, uh, there's only a few games in 1976, 11 games as the A's DH, Willie McCovey. Went 5 for 24, all singles, three walks. It looked like 
being a DH was going to be Willie McCovey's future at that time. He was an older ball player. Didn't happen to be that way. Went back to the Giants and still had five, six really good years. The A's would have liked to have kept him as a DH if they had known any better. You know, it just that list right there, it just truly shows you the movement in baseball and that we probably could do this with every single organization, just the names. You think that Ron Say, you know, you think of these certain names that – it's amazing the player movement there that there is in baseball. And especially for that position, because you can get an aging hitter, right, who maybe can't play the field anymore but can still rake. So you're going to find a place for him in the American League and let him bat four or five times a game. So you see a lot of movement, especially at the designated hitter. All right, number 10. Number 10. One of my guys, John Jaha. You talk about walk-up musics. You hear All Aboard, Crazy Train, Ozzy Osbourne, you automatically think John Jaha. He was signed as a free agent for the 99 season for only half a million dollars. They thought he was done. Injuries has kind of wrecked his career in Milwaukee. He had some huge years in Milwaukee. He had a 334 and 118 year in Milwaukee in 96. But hamstring issues, torn labrum in his shoulder, had a left foot injury. Everybody thought he was done. But he comes in 99, hits 276 with 35 bombs. 111 runs batted in. He's the A's all-star that year. He gets MVP votes. I think it all came together for him. He had a four-game series in Tiger Stadium. Never forget this. Old Tiger Stadium, the last year. Seven for 15, two homer, five homers, two doubles, eight runs batted in, three walks. Dominated the Tigers in that, se- in that year, in that series. Ends up signing a two-year deal with the A's after the 99 season. And then the injuries came back. In 2000, left shoulder injuries limited him to only 33 games. He barely, barely got the ball into the – he was striking out all the time. He had 175. And then 2001, he only played 12 games. But for 1999, he was everything you wanted as of a DH. And the other thing about John Jaha, huge Oakland Raider fan. Huge Raider fan. Well, the one thing that I always love, Roy Steele. Nobody doesn't hit a hitter. John Jaha. John <laughs> yeah, he was he was tremendous. Such a good guy. And again, the, the guys you catch lightning with, right? You think maybe their career's over with. And you'll see some other names like that on this list coming up. Number nine. The Holy Grail. Arubiel Durazo. Why was he called the Holy Grail? Because he's playing in Arizona. But he's not a great defender. He's a first baseman, but he's got short arms. Kind of got T-Rex arms. He's not a great outfielder, but he could hit. You look at him in 2001 with the Diamondbacks, a 909 OPS. In 2002, 944 OPS. These were the numbers that just jumped out to Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics. This is a perfect athletic. He's a guy who's going to walk a lot. He's going to hit for power. We need to get him. He was he was the holy grail. So they acquired him before the 2003 season in a four-team trade with the A's, the Diamondbacks, the Blue Jays, and the Reds. And 2003 puts together a solid season, right? 259, 21 homers. Walks 100 times, has an 804 OPS. But you know what number he didn't have? Was runs batted in. He only had 77 runs batted in. And this is where the the on-base percentage argument kind of falls a little bit. A power guy in the middle of the lineup walking is not always a good thing. You need that power guy to swing the bat and drive in runs. And that's what Durazo didn't do in 2003. And they talked to him about it. In 2004, he came back, and now he's a different hitter. He's an aggressive hitter. His average goes up to 321. It's a 60-point raise in his batting average. Drives in 88. His walks go down, but his OPS goes up over 900. And he's receiving MVP votes. 
it's just sometimes walks isn't the answer. You need your, your run producers to produce runs and not pass the baton. They need to be the guy. And DeRozzo learned that in 2004. 2005 was a, it was a loss in year with him with injuries, left elbow tendonitis, didn't play after May 24th, and basically his baseball career was done. But in 2004, when he was putting it all together, he was the holy grail. He was what the A's had expected. Yeah, and I think of, you know, I don't know if you're going to have him on the list. I'm sure you are, Jack Cust. And I think about those guys. That's great. You walk, but when you're slow, it's now going to take me multiple hits to get you in, which we know is tough to do. All righty, so we're on to number eight. The before-mentioned Jack Cust. Jack Cust. Jack Cust comes in at number eight. So here's the deal. It's 2007, and Mike Piazza has assigned, right? He's going to be the A's DH that season. But in a game at Fenway Park, he gets his shoulder rolled over upon by by Mike Lowell. So he's out. And the A's quickly make a call and get Jack Cuss. Jack Cuss has always put up fantastic minor league power numbers, right? The home runs, the walks, terrible fielder. But he had some cups of coffee with Baltimore and the Yankees. Uh, It just never seemed to work out, right? He couldn't hit major league pitching. But he comes up. In his first 13 games with the A's, he hits 310 with eight homers, 20 RBIs. He's a marvel. This is Jack Cuss. This is great. The A's have another fine. Next 21 games, hits 153 with no homers. Somehow he gets hot again, hits 377 with seven bombs in the next 18 games, ends the year with 26 home runs, 82 runs batted in, OPS over 900, over 100 walks. This is Jack Cuss. This is the three-true uh, three outcome guy, right? You're either going to walk, you're going to strike out, or you're going to homer. And that's what they got. And Cuss continued to do that. 2008, 33 homers. 2009, 25 homers. Now, 2010, after these great power years, he starts the year in the minors. Because the A's decided in that year that Eric Chavez was going to be their full-time DH. In that case, there was going to be no room for Jack Cust. But he comes back up after Xavi gets hurt, which happened to do. And he still ends up hitting 272 with 13 homers. But basically a poor man's Jim Tomey, half a Jim Tomey, but the same thing, home runs, walks, strikeouts. That was Jack Cust. Number seven. Number seven is a Hall of Famer who came to the A's really expressly for the, the fact that he was never in the postseason. And that was Billy Williams. Billy Williams was acquired from the Cubs before the 75 season for Daryl Knowles, Bob Locker, and Manny Trio. And if you look at his career with the, with the Cubs – he was a Rookie of the Year in 1961. He was a six-time All-Star. He was the National League batting champ in 1972. Twice finished second in the MVP voting, 70 and 72. But again, with the Cubs, no postseason. He comes over in 75. He's going to be the full-time DH. And he has a nice year. He's 37 years old. It's a whole new league. Again, they pitchers he's never seen before. I mean, there's no interleague play here. He's never seen these guys. It's a big change. And he hits 244, but he still has 23 homers, drives in 81, Gets to the postseason. The A's face the Red Sox in the ALCS. Billy Williams gets his first taste postseason play, and he goes 0 for 7. Never got a postseason hit. Uh, 76, he comes back. He only hits 211. His slugging is gone. Basically, his career is over now, 38 years old. But he got a chance to go in the postseason. Uh, he was so good in 75. He's finally elected to the Hall of Fame in 1987 on a sixth time on the ballot. He goes in with Catfish Hunter. And why that's just kind of one of those ironic things is really the A's don't win in 75. 
because Catfish Hunter's no longer an athletic. He was a Yankee that year. But Billy Williams checks in at number seven. Number six, the chief, Geronimo Barroa. And I think when you look back at A's hitters, especially in the 90s, when there were some lean years, Geronimo Barroa was a monster. This guy was signed by the A's in February of 94. He had already played a little bit with the Braves, a little bit with the Reds, a little with the Marlins, but again, never got full-time chance. Now in 94, it's a strike year. 96 games, he hits 306 with 13 homers. Comes back in 95, 278, 22 homers. 96, 290, 36 home runs. He had two three-homer games that year, two. One of them at Yankee Stadium. 1997, he's having another fantastic year. He's hitting 310 with 16 home runs in July. But this is when the A's started making their trades and the trade deadlines, and they traded him to the Orioles for Jimmy Haynes. But think about Harana Barrow and those numbers he put up on bad teams. And the ball wasn't flying like it is today, and it's not flying like it was in 96. He has a 293 career average with the A's. He hit 293. That is second all-time with players with at least 1,000 plate appearances in Oakland history to Jason Giambi. Number two is Geronimo Barroa. That's how good a hitter he was. 90s were very interesting for the A's. All the different players, all the different names, still good in the early 90s. Then later on, you trademark McGuire. And then, you know, here comes Billy Bean and starting to find some of the late 90s. It was an interesting decade in A's history, and I'm sure that's something we'll go over at a later time. Just want to bring that up to the 90s where, and it's right when I, you know, 96, 97 is when I first started this career and started to be a part of it. So it's uh that was an interesting decade for the A's. Like you said, you start the decade in 1990 by going to the World Series. And then you just, in 93, you're a terrible team. 94, the strike year, you get off to a horrible start. But all of a sudden, by the time the strike hits, you're in second place. Even though you're under 500, you're in second place. But 95, 96, Powerball A's, 97, Canseco comes back. It's an interesting decade of A's baseball for sure. Now we get to the top five. Number five, the Cobra. Dave Parker. Dave Parker was acquired from the Reds for the 88 season for Tim Burtzis and Jose Rio. It was hard to give up Jose Rio. They knew they knew the talent they had in him. But for whatever reason, the A's felt they couldn't harness that, that talent as much as they would like. And they needed more offense in the lineup. Reggie Jackson was the DH in 1987. Uh, he wasn't going to come back in 88. He had retired. He was done. And they went and got Dave Parker. And this is, you know, a two-time batting champ, a six-time All-Star. Won three gold gloves. He was an MVP. He was 37 years old in 87. He still drove in 97 runs. And he was everything they could have hoped for. In 88, he had an injury with his thumb, so he missed most of July and August, but he still had 12 homers, still hit 257 in Game 2 of the World Series against Hershiser. He's the only guy who had hits. He had three hits off Hershiser. The rest of the team had nothing. 89, now he's healthy, now it's Dave Parker. 22 homers, 97 runs batted in, finishes 11th in the MVP voting, big home run in Game 1 of the World Series, go-ahead double in Game 2 of the World Series, and his personality. He's talking. This was a huge A's team, right, with personalities with Ricky and Jose, and Dave Henderson, Dave Stork, Dennis Eckersley. But Dave Parker had this way about him. He had this style that nobody else had. And I remember one time sitting out in the bleachers during batting practice, there was some fan ragging on Dave Parker. You know, Dave had some trouble in his earlier days with some drug problems and some other things, but this fan's ragging on him. And then he starts talking about Dave Parker's family. 
Parker turns around, walks through the outfield wall, up the steps to the bleachers. And hey, each step, he's getting bigger and bigger because he's a big man. And the guy who is yelling is getting smaller and smaller. And Dave Parker just looked at him. I mean, he full uniform right off the field saying, you can say anything you want about me. Anything you want. You talk about my family, we're going to have problems. And you should. this guy just shriveled up into a ball. There was He wasn't going to say anything more ever about Dave Parker. He was, just, he was great, the Cobra. You can make a case he should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think no question about it. And I, the one thing I always remembered, swinging the sledgehammer in the on-deck circle. That's how big of a man he was. He was intimidating. So intimidating. And you're right about the Hall of Fame. You look at some of the hitters, especially from his era and what he did, Combine that with the gold glove defense that he played with the Pirates. You still see the throws in the 79 All-Star Game of the Kingdom. This guy could do it all. He was a five-tool player. Average, power, speed, the whole package. Uh, he he needs more love when it comes to the Hall of Fame. He's right there. He's right on that, that list who should be in there. Number four. This guy is in the Hall of Fame, a recent Hall of Famer, Harold Baines. And Harold, he comes over to the A's in 1990. The A's during the season, they really don't have a regular designated hitter because Parker had gone. They didn't re-sign him after the 89 season. He wanted a two-year deal. The A's felt they really only were willing to guarantee him one year filling with his age, and they were actually right. He had one more good year, Dave Parker, with Milwaukee and then fell off the table. The A's needed somebody in, in 90. They had used Doug Jennings, Felix Jose, Dan Howitt. Nothing had happened. Here you are in, in August. And Sandy Alderson falls off these two trades that are unbelievable. First, Dave Henderson gets hurt in the rain in Chicago. So he needs another outfielder. So he pulls a trade for Willie McGee. And now he wants offense. On August 29th, he gets Harold Baines for Joe Bitker and Scott Champarino. You know what Scott Champarino does now? He's an agent. He works for Scott Boros. (laughs) Joe Bitker, who's a distant cousin of our friend Steve Bitker, basically got three games in the majors and that was it. Pretty good trade to get Harold Baines. 1990 has a great postseason against Boston. The ALCS hits 357. It's a huge homer here in Game Three of the World Series against the Reds. Uh, you know we don't talk about that World Series, but Harold was good. And uh, then 91, he's having an All-Star year. 295, 20 homers, 90 RBI. And think about this: this is a power hitter and a guy with average. 72 walks, only 67 strikeouts. Harold Baines. Could put the bat on the ball. Reggie Jackson, who was calling A's games at the time, used to call him a professional hitter. And when the leaves turn brown, Harold Baines comes around. I mean, he was money in the fall. And he was. 92 has another big year with the A's. In the ALCS against the Blue Jays, he hits 440. 11 for 25, a homer, two doubles. The A's end up trading Baines to Baltimore, thinking that maybe his best days are behind him. Plays nine more years. Goes to the postseason with Baltimore, with Cleveland, with the White Sox. This is Harold Baines. Uh, he was just, he was great. What a great trade to bring him over in August of 90. I and mean, that's when the trade, trade deadline was back then, August 31st. And to pick him up, unbelievable. The Hall of Famer, Harold Baines. Harold Baines. And now we're down to the top three. I cannot wait. Number three. Chris Davis. Wow, number three. Number three. Um, you know, this is a guy who split time between left field and DH in 2016, 2017, but still put up those huge numbers. And then 2018, last season, he becomes the full-time DH with 48 bombs and 123 RBIs. And, and a lot of guys who become 
who have been full-time players, position players, who transition to being DH, they struggle that first time, right? Because they don't know what to do with themselves during the game. Um, some people will say you try and treat it like four pinch hitting appearances. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, you're part of the game. You're part of the lineup. And Chris Davis took to it right away. Now, he has his routine, but it worked for him, right? Now, this year it's been a little bit more struggle, but it hasn't had anything to do with him playing DH. I think the injuries definitely have curtailed his production. What happened in Pittsburgh and getting hit by a pitch, I think all that has kind of snowballed on it. But otherwise, you're talking about a guy who's had 48 home runs, 46 home runs last year. 46 of his 48 was as a DH. That's the second most all-time. Only David Ortiz, who had 47 in 2006, has more. He's already, in the history of Oakland, has the second most home runs and the second most runs batted in as a DH. So to be on this list this high at number three, I think he's well-deserved. Um, now, there are some other guys who have played multiple positions who we've talked about on other lists. You know, Reggie is on the right fielder's list. Matt Stairs is on the outfield list. Um, guys you think might be a DH, we put them in position players. But Chris Davis is going to finish up his career with the A's as their DH, and his numbers are going to just blow everybody's away. No doubt about it. So this list could be changing uh, over the next few years. But KD at number three. Number two. Frank Thomas. And you might think, well, Frank Thomas wasn't DH for the A's very long. But his 2006 season was so good that he had to be number two because I watched him every day that year, and he did Hall of Fame things. And there's a reason he's in the Hall of Fame, because he does Hall of Fame things. You look at his numbers. He comes to the A's after that long career with the White Sox, and he struggles. Right Through May 20th, he's hitting 178 with only seven homers, and people are worried. Maybe he's done. Maybe the White Sox are right. This guy can't hit. But then we make our return to Chicago. He goes to play in front of the fans who loved him, and he gets this huge ovation. And what does he do that night? Two bombs. And from then on, forget about it. Last 103 games of that season, 302, 32 homers, OPS over 1,000. He finished fourth in the MVP, and I to this day say he should have been the MVP. Justin Morneau was the MVP in 2006. Justin Morneau was fine. Derek Jeter finished second. Derek Jeter has a better argument. But Frank Thomas, for what he did for this team in that year, because not only the numbers that we just mentioned, but the effect he had on Milton Bradley, on Nick Swisher, on Eric Chavez, up and down the lineup, he changed it. Why did Milton Bradley have his best year as a, really as a player? Because Frank Thomas was there. And Frank could keep Frank and could keep Milton in line. Milton wasn't getting, getting away with his craziness, and he was crazy when Frank was around. And Swisher, I Swisher loved him. He's Frank Thomas. Swisher had grown up watching this guy bomb in Chicago, and now he's batting with him in the order. And how many times did one guy homer and the next guy homer? Just the effect on this team. Frank Thomas, now it's game one. 2006 ALDS, and the A's are in Minnesota, and they got to face Johan Santana, the best pitcher in the game. And what does Frank do? He leads off the second inning with a home run, and it just like everybody went, we can beat this guy. That's Frank Thomas. You see what he did to him? Frank then homers again in the ninth to give the A's some insurance. That's what Hall of Famers do. That's what Frank did. Now, again, we have this two-year contract situation, much like Dave Parker. The A's didn't want to give Frank a two-year contract after that season. So he signed with Toronto. And again, the A's were right. 2007, he had a good year. But in 2008, Toronto lets him go, and he actually comes back to the A's. And he hits eight homers in 55 games, but he's kind of injured. It wasn't the same Frank Thomas. But for what he did in 2006, 
and being able to watch him every day. Hall of Fame guy doing Hall of Fame things. Number two on the all-time DH list. You know, Oakland brought joy back to his game because I remember going into the White Sox clubhouse and he was he was just a miserable guy because he was fighting with the Chicago media. His locker was right next to Albert Bell's, which couldn't be good for the vibe. And I just remember he was a jerk. And then the first time I went up and interviewed him when he first got here, I'm expecting the worst. And he was the greatest guy ever. Coming here just changed. Bait just... Talk about a change of scenery. It's one of the great change of sceneries for a guy. And to see him play with joy again was a lot of fun. And, yes, uh, the big hurt, a Hall of Famer, and what a year for the A's. That leaves us with one really, really big man at number one all-time A's DH. Number one, maybe not the best person, (laughs) but definitely the best DH in Oakland history, and that's Dave Kingman. Dave Kingman, who came up with the Giants originally in the 70s and then bounced around from team to team, could do one thing, and that was hit bombs. He could hit home runs. And he came to the A's in 1984, and he had 35 of them and drove in 118 and OPS over 800. And he was just such a scary guy in the lineup because you knew all he was trying to do was hit the ball five miles. And a lot of times when he made contact, that's when it went. He, he didn't get cheapies with Dave Kingman. Moonshots. We always thought if he would play his career at Fenway, he would have hit 700 home runs because with that left field wall, it was a joke for him. That's just a fly ball for Dave Kingman. 85, comes back, it's 30 homers, drives in 91. 86, middle of your lineup is Jose Canseco and Dave Kingman. The A's go to Fenway. Tony LaRusso's first game as manager, July 7, 1986. Monday night baseball, national TV, Roger Clemens, Dave Stewart. First time Dave Stewart's facing off against Roger Clemens. And who goes back-to-back? Against the Rocket, Jose Canseco and Dave Kingman. It was it was awesome. He's got the A's record for home runs and RBIs as a DH. Finished his career with 442 home runs. Had the record for most home runs in the final year of a career until Dave Ortiz broke that a couple years ago. Uh, you know when, they, when he hit 400 homers at the time, everybody who had 400 homers was in the Hall of Fame, and they were thinking, was Dave Kingman going to make the Hall of Fame because he's got that magic number? Dave Kingman never came close. Again, personality issues and some of the ways about him. But when he was in the lineup, what Dave Kingman can do, and for those three years, such a huge threat in the 80s for your Oakland A's. Kong number one. All right, quickly go down the top ten once again. Top ten DHs. Number ten, John Jaha. Number nine, Irubio Durazo. Number eight, Jack Cust. Number seven, Hall of Famer Billy Williams. Number six, the Chief. Geronimo Baroa. Number five, the Cobra, Dave Parker. Number four, the Hall of Famer, Harold Baines. Number three, Chris Davis. Number two, Hall of Famer, Frank Thomas. And number one, Dave Kingman. Feldy, that was awesome. Our next top ten, where are we going to go? We're going back to the infield. We're going to first base. Ooh, that is a big list. That's a big list with some big names. And one of them just became an Oakland Athletics Hall of Famer. Top ten DHs of all time in Oakland A's history. You've been listening to Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 